the idea of us being focused on the art and kind of taking away from that fickle aspect of just the artist's presentation, the celebrity status. I think that disappeared with our blocks, right? Now it's just straight up about the art. We can just allow all of the amazing art that people have to share to come about, to flourish. With this first drop, you've already heard a little bit of the music. The music sounds amazing, I think. And hopefully other drops will have other artists. And we've already got an artist lined up for the next drop, who's a little bit popular in the Web3 space, specifically in the music NFT space. But we want anybody to be able to do this. It's not about celebrity status. Anybody can make great art if they have the heart to do it. Welcome to the Will and Lee Show. Hi, this is Will Cheng. And as always, I have my co-hosts Lee Cheng and Andrew Su with me. Hey, guys. Hey, hey. Today, we have Benny Khan. Benny is the founder of Beat Foundry. Beat Foundry is a platform for releasing generative music NFTs that actually sound good. All song data is forever stored on-chain in MIDI format so anyone can freely interpret and remix it in their own way. Welcome, Benny. Hello. How are you guys doing? It's great to be here. Doing great. So let's start out with the origin story of Beat Foundry. Where did the idea come from? Yeah, I think I should probably go back a little bit where I started playing music because I think that's important to get into as a musician. I think my position in this space is a little different from a lot of the other founders who might have been software first or just founder first, right? So I actually, all throughout high school, I was playing jazz. I'm a jazz trombonist and able to travel the world and you know travel all across to Japan and all across the United States and Canada. And music was totally my thing. And I wanted to go and pursue a career in it. So I ended up applying to all these schools, Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music, decided Manhattan School of Music was the best option for me. But while I was there, I think when you're really preparing for a career in music, you realize the differences between the idea of being a musician versus the actual reality of it, right? And I think that's something that I definitely want to touch on later as we talk about the Web3 space. But as a jazz musician, you know, being pretty much limited to just live music and maybe some studio work, I realized that the lifestyle was pretty limited and there wasn't too much I could do in that direction. So I wanted to find other places to go and other forms of showing off my art and my music and what I could create. So I pivoted my life and went into software engineering, tried to learn how to be able to build something from the ground up myself, ended up getting involved with a company that has been on this podcast before, Michael M from Gallery. And I'm actually currently working full-time at Gallery, but on the side, of course, they support me working on a bunch of projects on the side. And I was thinking, now that I know how to build things, how can I combine my passion for music? How can I use music and actually live the life I want to live while also releasing something interesting and not just something that I'd be playing live, right? Because I think that's, you know, there's a lot that's been done before in the jazz space and it's kind of hard to come up with something new. So I was thinking, you know, what, what new can I do, right? And I've seen a lot of, you know, at the time, there wasn't too many music NFT projects. There was a couple like Arpeggi. I just kind of heard about sound and catalog. And a lot of them, like Arpeggi was doing something on chain, which is super cool. But they were kind of allowing you to be the composer of whatever is being made into an NFT. I'll get into what Foundry is about, but we're definitely pivoting into a different direction. And some of the other platforms were just trying to be a way for artists to earn royalties and earn more on their music, right? And I thought that was super interesting. But at the end of the day, I wanted to release music that I thought was interesting. It's something that the actual focus was on the product, right? The music. So I was thinking, what can I do in a way that kind of checks all the boxes for all the things that I find interesting in an NFT? And for me, that is on-chainness. I think that's super important. And... Honestly, on-chainness is the most important thing for me. And then obviously just the quality of the art, right? 
I took inspiration from art blocks and loot, and I was thinking, you know, what can we do with music to get this entirely on chain, right? MP3s are very difficult to get on chain because they're huge. It's, we can't even put a JPEG on chain at this point. It just costs way too much in gas. So I was thinking, what are some compact formats that I can put all this music on chain? And I discovered MIDI. I had known about MIDI at the time, but for those who don't really know what MIDI is, MIDI is basically just a format for communicating music to a computer. And it just so happens that it's super compact. So I thought, you know what, let's make some music in MIDI, put it on chain and get some other artists involved and find a way to make it so that anybody who knows how to work with MIDI can release their music in this platform. And we're just kind of starting. We're about to do our first drop, but we eventually want to get there and have more artists working on our platform. So yeah, that's the backstory of Foundry and kind of a little over the top of what it is and, and how it came about. So you've basically figured out something really interesting in the space that's brand new, right? Why don't we go over what Beat Foundry is? Yeah. I think what's really brand new about this is, for one, the on-chainness. Arpeggi is doing something in their own format that works really nicely with an online DAW. A DAW is basically how you compose music online. It's just the interface for composing music. And we're actually composing music, putting it on-chain in a generative way, right? So now it's no longer just, like I said, you know, we took a lot of inspiration from Artblocks. Now it's no longer just the music is the music. It's just what they composed. It's something you could release on Spotify, right? So just any average music that you're listening to and enjoying on Spotify, Apple Music. Now it's the actual product itself. The music is something different. Having this generative aspect makes it more about this collection. So now we've got, you might buy a piece that is composed by an artist, right? Maybe the musical components that make up each piece that are put together on Mint. They all are composed by a given artist that you enjoy their music. The genre is something you enjoy, right? And then you get to own this piece that's one of one of many, but it's a one-to-one connection with that artist. But you also have this idea of the collection, which I think is what really makes this about the music. Now the music is something interesting. I've never seen an album where there's a bunch of variations of every song. And now you're looking at, at the entire collection of 1500 instead of just an album of nine. And I think that's something cool, even when I see that in popular music, just an album being more focused on the album itself rather than just each individual song, right? So I think we're just kind of extending that into the next level, which is now there's this huge collection full of outputs that you never know what you're going to get, right? Which I think is super cool. What's your definition of generative? We've gotten a lot of people asking about this because art blocks with visual art, they have a lot of leeway because we can look at things and find interesting things and everything. And there's rarely ever something that looks just not appealing, right? You look at it and you think it physically bothers you or something like that. Whereas music is very hard to appease in the first place, right? Most people can't make something just on their own, can't make a piece of music that is generally appealing, right? Whereas most people could probably draw something that at least looks fine and, and won't cause people to cry or something like that, right? Or something worse. So we had to find this sweet spot of generativeness that allows us to make music that actually sounds good, right? But is still generative in a sort of way. So the generative aspect is that, yes, there are parts being, being put together. We don't exactly know the outputs of each NFT that we send out are going to be different, right? And they're going to be made up of different parts on the fly, and that's all going to be done by a computer. But each individual component that gets put together is going to be pre-composed by a composer, and that's why we can allow it to sound good and work tonally, right? Like with music, for people who know a little bit more about just the technical parts of music, you know, the, the chords and the pitches, there's a lot of things that line up, and there's a lot of things that are just inherent to us that we find nice, right? And some things that, like I said, we can't agree with. So we had to make sure that when it's generating, there's some there's kind of some rules to ensure that each output is good. Because I think that's kind of something we've also seen in the, in the music NFT space. That there's just, there's been these projects that 
claim they're doing generative music and it's fully computer generated. And that's super cool. And that's definitely, it's interesting to listen to, but it's not something I would want to listen to on my free time. And in that way, I think it's more like a fascinating thing than it is an actual piece of music that I enjoy and really about the art, right? The actual creation. I think at the end of the day, the human aspect is really important. Totally. Playing that back is the artist is making specific chords or riffs that might be a MIDI. And then the generative piece is taking that artist's set of chords, MIDIs, or riffs, and then creating, because of the algorithm, pretty appealing stuff. That's how you own kind of a part of the album, but it is a combination of their ultimate chords. Is that what it is? Yes. The way we've kind of thought about it so far is we've divided up almost into songs, but the song might be a chord progression, right? So a chord progression just lays the groundwork for a song. It's just got all basically all the rules set up for the song to sound good. And the composer will write a bunch of melodies, drum parts, bass lines, chord parts, intros, interludes, all these different parts, right? And that's everything that makes up a song, but they'll write them in those chord changes for each chord change, right? So that in the final output, you might get one or maybe two outputs from this chord progression. Maybe there's only a, like a one of one over here, or a, you know you might get three from another chord progression, and they all have different melodies, bass lines, drum parts. But the chord progressions almost separate it like songs in an album, right? So rather than just one song for every song in an album, right? There's there's like anywhere from one to six hundred or something like that, right? Per song, in a way. What you guys are pretty much doing is similar to art blocks, where when the artist has a bunch of inputs, and then through the generative process immense like a hundred of this collection of similar art based on kind of the inputs right and so what you're doing is the same thing as you have these inputs from the composer and it's generating a collection of similar but different music that sounds good based on the composer's inputs is that right Exactly. Yeah. Based on what the composer made, just slightly more rules than something like our blocks would have to deal with just because of the music part of it. Right. Right. So just to make sure it has to sound good. Yep. How does the MIDI format attach to B Foundry? Is it the MIDI format part of the creation process or is the MIDI format the final file that is on the chain? Yeah. So I think this is really cool because it kind of came about from a sort of limitation right, to the limitation of gas on the blockchain, just being able to store information on the blockchain. I talked about just how we had to find this format and it's very compact, but I think it is becoming, and I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go, but I think right now it's becoming a sort of, definitely a foundational part of Foundry because we've realized the benefits of this limitation, right? So MIDI doesn't describe all of the sounds. It doesn't describe what instruments are playing or or the direct output that you're going to be hearing, right? You you could click on a MIDI file and it might open in GarageBand if you have a Mac or it might open in Logic or Ableton if you're a producer and you have that. But it doesn't actually describe the sounds. If you opened it in GarageBand, by default, it'll just be a bunch of pianos playing. Even the drum part would be played by a piano, right? Separated into tracks. So it requires this extra level of production. And we kind of realize, you know, that's super cool because one, we can obviously make our own MIDI reader that sounds really good, performs it the way we imagined it, right? As from the composer's perspective. But what's also cool is that somebody else could easily spin up their own front end, right? Maybe if they're an engineer, they could spin up their own front end, which is a website that could play the MIDI. Because MIDI is also a browser native format. MIDI by default can be read in the browser, right? Which is super cool. And somebody could spin up something that makes it sound super nice by default. Or somebody might collect a couple of these, 
throw them into logic, produce them on their own and make something that we had no idea would ever come about. You know, maybe we thought the music was supposed to sound like video game music and then they make something that makes it sound like lo-fi or country music somehow, who knows? And that's really cool to see. And I think that's a Web3 idea in general is just like seeing the community build on to the art, right? It seems like we're just opening up everything right now. Collections are bigger and communities involved and everybody's just getting making art together, which is super cool. We want to see that happen. So I think that's kind of what's become foundational with MIDI. And then just to go more specific into what the actual output is. So yes, the MIDI is on-chain, right? We're putting it on-chain beforehand. When you mint, it's going to basically designate parts, things that are stored on the blockchain and say, whenever you ask for this NFT, we're going to give you this melody, this solo, this interlude. And in the token URI, which is the, the metadata, there's going to be a new field that's audio and it's literally just going to have the MIDI, right? The straight MIDI, you could copy and paste it into a file, call it something.mid and click on it and it'll open. We also added a utility function so that you could just get the MIDI directly if you wanted to. And I'm sure on our website, eventually we'll have ways to download it super easily and maybe even download nicely produced versions of it just to, so you can do whatever you want with it, right? We want this to be very open and everybody to have full control over the music. So let me just paraphrase what you said so that I understand it. Another concept that I've been learning is the image one, the SVG, right? And so when things are on-chain, most PFPs that are on-chain, they don't actually have the instructions to create the image. So most PFPs like Board Ape Yacht Club or Cool Cats, they actually just are a pointer to a pointer on a server's centralized server somewhere with the image, right? But then you have other projects like NounDAO or Loot where the actual image instructions are actually on chain. And what it's doing is it's using some type of translator for that data to basically show an SVG of the image, right? And so that means that because it's on chain, then anybody can access those instructions and play around with it, right? So just like with images, you're doing that with music. So what you've done is you've created a smart contract with a bunch of composer files on a smart contract. And then for each mint NFT, you're pulling different assets or instructions from each of the composers, whether it's like some drums or riff, and you're basically putting in an assortment into each minted NFT. These are instructions that you can basically then give to your own translator that's going to play music. But because it's on-chain, anybody else can basically take that on-chain data and make their own translator to make that music sound different. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. Rather than just like you said with Board Board Ape Yacht Club, posting the MP3 somewhere and not even making it in MIDI, everything is directly on the blockchain so that if everything went down except for the Ethereum blockchain, we would still have this music, right? It would still be sitting there, right? And what's really nice about this, just like SVG, is it's supported by pretty much everything, right? You can click on an SVG file, it opens in Google Chrome, it opens in Safari, right? MIDI, you click on on a MIDI file and there's a million different music production softwares that already know how to read it. Your web browser already knows how to read it. So yes. And I think you mentioned a a project that we also took a lot of inspiration from, Loot. I think that one is, if you're going to think about us like anything, that's probably the best example. There's all these components, there's the helmet, there's blah, 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 you know, and that kind of represents the melody, the solos, right? And then it just gets put together and thrown in the output and that all happens on chain. Got it. And so then when you say Foundry is helping people be part of the creation process, right? That means you're giving the building blocks of music on chain and allowing people to access the data on chain to translate and make however music they want based on that on-chain data. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Given that it's mini, like we said, doesn't include too much. We hope that people are able to make something with this beyond what we came up with ourselves. And 
for those people that don't know how to produce music and don't really care to produce music, we're also including an off-chain recording of our interpretation, our production of it, right? So that it shows up on OpenSea, it shows up on Gallery, right? It's, it's just a nice way of, of seeing it. And maybe that also might give inspiration to the people who want to build something with it. Just kind of lays the groundwork for this is what we did with it, right? But now what are you going to do with it? And in the future too, I think we want to make this a little easier for the average person who's not a producer too, and, and even add some things, some simple things like being able to change the time signature just by t- calling the smart contract or being able to change the key of a song, right? be able to change the tempo. I said time signature, that's probably a bit too advanced, but for those who know music, that would make the music really messed up, but to change the tempo or to speed up the song, right? Literally adjust the output that's coming from the blockchain, right? By just calling functions on the blockchain. I think that would be super cool in the future. So we hope that that becomes a possibility. So you said something and I just want to understand the concept real quick. So because the MIDI music instructions are on this NFT, that means that anybody can come and translate and build out that music, right? However, what you've done is you also created a, after you've already translated, generated music, and you've also attached that to the NFT, is that right? And that NFT music you can actually listen to on OpenSea, is that right? Yes. There's this metadata standard that kind of defines a lot of the fields that represent an NFT, like the image. For most NFTs that these days, it's an image, it might be a video, it's a couple attributes, Right. And we've added this field that's audio, right? That's the important thing. That's what we want to be pushing with this is that, yes, we've got this new field and it's MIDI and it's fully on chain and it allows you to produce music. And that's the actual musical content. But for the image and the animation, you are all the, just the stuff that comes at face value when you're looking at the NFT on OpenSea. We obviously wanted something there. So we have a, an amazing designer who's helped us design our amazing website and also made the art for our first drop and will hopefully be working with us for future drops. And that shows up as well as a little player where you can actually play the artist's original intention for the music, right? When they were writing the music in whatever production software they were using, before they clicked export to MIDI to put it on blockchain, this is what it sounded like, right? And that's just so that you have something to listen to and you actually can experience the music, the full music. And that's off-chain, right? That's, like you said, what all these other projects are doing. It's just going to be at an API or whatever. So the riffing is definitely coming from any way that it's played or called. And that's like one of the most probably common ways that folks will riff on the music, which you're really excited about is what I'm hearing. Is there also manipulation of the on-chain music itself? And if yes, are you thinking about how to tie back that ownership chain? Because I think I saw that y'all were also thinking about royalties. It's definitely that you can riff on all the ways that you listen to it. And that's really, really cool. And then but how does the riffing on-chain actually, like, is there riffing the on-chain piece? And how does that work? Have you already thought about it? Yeah. So for this, for our first collection, we don't want to innovate too much. We don't want to put too much on our plate. We got some things in our back pocket, like the on-chain manipulation, right? And I was kind of vaguely mentioned this, but being able to change the key and stuff like that, that is all would be directly on-chain. And let's say the owner of this NFT changed all that stuff. Now, everybody who's listening to it, it might produce a different output, depending on where they're listening to it from. If there's a website like Sound XYZ or Catalog or something that kind of catches onto this and maybe adopts a sort of audio metadata format, right? And they start playing it. Now, the creator has a little bit of control over the music. And obviously, I think that's one of the nicest things about NFTs in general. 
the original purpose of NFTs just to represent ownership, people will see it always ties back to either the artist or the collector, right? Part of our metadata is also putting the composer in there somewhere so that somebody could always look back at this project and find out who it's coming from, right? And we've got a lot to think about with regards to royalties. I, we were on a Twitter space the other day, and there was a lot of talk about the different types of ways to do that. And uh, I foresee other groups picking out that space and spending more time with it. I think we've got a lot on our plate just making this technology work. But I think at the end of the day, that's just one of the biggest advantages of NFTs in general, right? And releasing the music in this format accomplishes that, allows artists to reap in the benefits. And, you know, yes, we will see, we hope to see the people manipulating more than just adding instruments, mixing. We try to keep the MIDI content as light as possible, where it's just like, this is the musical content. Now go with it as you will, right? It doesn't tell you if you're going to repeat this section a bunch of times, whatever. I'm sure we'll see that. And hopefully we can do that on the on chain in the future so that it it shows up on other platforms and is tied to the creator. But at the very least, we do f- see some things like that happening and very possible like tempo and very, right now, very simple things. But hopefully we'll innovate in that area and find better ways to allow them to manipulate their music. Amazing. And I want to take that question even more basic, which is, let's say you've published it, right? Your mints in two days, I think. So everyone should check it out. We'll add links in the show notes. And then let's say Will gets one and Will wants to edit at the blockchain level, a small riff. He wants to change something. Can you just take us through like how that would work at the most, bi- like just at a base level? Because I'd just love to hear the basics of how Will would get to riff on that. Right now, you're not going to be manipulating the actual on-chain result. You're not going to be changing what is returned on-chain. Mm. So if anybody else tried to grab this music, you changing it is not going to affect them, right? So that's something we definitely want to get into. But right now, it's going to be all the off-chain stuff that you do with the music. Uh that is going to be community-based, right? So I think that's more of just an invitation for people, at least right now, an invitation for people to take their music and do something with it, given that it's not a fully, it's not a full piece of music by default, right? You're buying something that, yes, you can listen to the music and it sounds really good. That's totally fine on its own. But at the end of the day, this isn't technically, what is on-chain is not the finished product. We want people to do what they want to do with it and share that and invite other people in. The on-chain of that, I think, is the next step for us, you know, adding more to the output itself being on chain, right? Like right now, just the output is on chain, and that's super cool. That that's already that's an innovation. We hope you know we're just trying to make that work, and in the yep. future we want to and have other ways. Gotcha. Another thing about the blockchain is it it is immutable, right? And so if you're minting the data on chain, you don't want that to change. You might want to maybe possibly create a new one, new NFT with elements of the old one, but you wouldn't want to change the, the NFT that you own, right? Yeah, I guess that kind of goes on a project by project basis. And I think, yeah, for this one, the project that we're currently working on, that's definitely the case, right? Like your output will always be the same. It's always going to be what it is, right? That, that won't ever change. And in the future, that might be a different thing. We were thinking about possibly making a project where it's an album, right? But different times of the day, a different song will play, right? When, depending on random outputs of when you even asked for the music, it'll give you a different output, right? So now the generative is like, now you own one song that might be 20 songs or something like that. There's all these different ways we can do this. Yeah, for this one, it's just immutable music on chain. Oh, wow. So I see now why you're saying it's like loot. So the super exciting thing is it's just given the format, it's so easy for anyone to want to riff. And so all of a sudden, partnerships, times of day, like it's enabling the community to kind of change the sound to meet their moods, collaborate, put things together, tear them apart. Oh, wow. I see. That's pretty wild. That's really cool. Which is why you don't really need to change the underlying piece because even just the 
outcome can riff on so many different plays on it. Exactly. Yeah. We've touched on B Foundry as like a concept, but let's make it more tangible. So you have your first collection of ocarinas, which are 1500 generative outputs with a video game music theme. Can you talk more about ocarinas and when are you going to start minting them and what that process is like? Yes. The Ocarinas came about. This is our first project. We wanted to pay homage to the early users of MIDI, which were video games back in the day. So MIDI has been around for a very, very long time, right? This is Video games were some of the early adopters back in the 80s and 90s, where communicating music to a computer was very difficult, right? But it is just a simple format. It was even easy back then, right? And it stuck around. Like I said, pretty much everything can read MIDI. So we were like, let's pay homage to them, make a drop that has some video gamey vibes. We thought that would be super fun. And that kind of led us to the name, which is The Ocarinas, which if you don't know, there's a Zelda game, a very famous Zelda game called The Ocarina of Time. And that's the game that has amazing music, first of all. And all the Nintendo games have fantastic music. All the Zelda games have fantastic music specifically. And the ocarina is an instrument in that, and we wanted to dedicate it almost to that. So yeah, so there's going to be 1,500 of these at Time of Mint, which is this Saturday, which is the 20, January 22nd at 12 p.m. EST. And basically, it's just going to be on our website. There's a mint button, and we've got a couple other little technical things up our sleeves to prevent gas wars and ensure that everything is a nice experience for everybody. But yeah, all the music is going to be very video gamey sounding, but with very catchy melodies. Like I said, we want the music to be really good. So even though that kind of implies some cheesiness and some corniness, the music actually, you know, I, I find myself having these melodies stuck in my head all day, right? And you might have one that if you mint five, right, you might have one that really gets stuck in your head with one melody, but then, you know, you've got another one that has a different melody here, but maybe the same melodies on the other spots, right? And you have to kind of figure out which ones you like. And we're really excited to see, you know, I've already shown a lot of the samples of just from the composing process from the artists that I'm working with. I've shown them to family and friends and every single person I talk to has a different favorite chord progression, different melody that they like. It's never been the same. So we're super excited to see what people think of these. And hopefully it works out on the smart contract side and on the website side. You know, this is our first time doing this, but we plan on doing many more drops with other artists, other genres, maybe some of the same artists and in different formats, obviously. So we're just excited to see where this goes. So I've been actually listening to a lot of your ocarinas on your Twitter. And what I would like to do is for the audience to listen to a generative ocarina right now. have to interrupt and say i'm playing music and the art's amazing and it's so damn catchy and i just like clicking on the cards and having them like go around it's also like so beautiful so it's pretty awesome yes thanks to our designer <laughs> <laughs> here's a question that i have right if i go to your website and i mint a music nft a b foundry nft how do i interact with it yes so 
first step is, you know, you have this NFT, obviously it shows up anywhere. Right? You go to OpenSea, you go on the gallery, whatever platform you'd like to use to look at your NFTs, it's going to be there. And there's going to be in certain views on each platform it might just show you the picture, but it also, if you go into it, there'll be a little play button and a bar and you can listen to the music, right? We're also working our own side on the website, having our own nice player where you can search through all the ocarinas. You can click on the ones that are that are yours. You can organize them and, and listen to them. And like I said, we want to add other parts, other features to that, like being able to just download the MIDI, download the MP3 files, download all that, right? And that should be, it honestly, it could be there by the time of Mint this Saturday, but it also might be a quick follow-up within the next week. So we'll see how that goes. I have a feeling you have something in the works with gallery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so <laughs> we've just been talking about it a lot. The music NFTs are becoming this very huge thing and the space for music outside of NFTs, that just the music space is so much larger than, no offense to all the visual art people, but just everybody listens to music, right? Everybody listens to music. So being able to support this natively would be super cool. And with a simple, nice player, I, I think we definitely might pursue that at Gallery for sure. Let's talk a little bit more about music NFTs. I know there's a lot of different people pursuing different things. What's the landscape right now for music NFTs? One of the things that people keep saying is, 2022 is the music NFT year. And so can you talk a little bit about what the landscape looks like and what people are trying to pursue? Yeah. So I think we can kind of divide it up into maybe like three different sectors. There's the making music sector, which I think we're a part of, right? There's just that it's about the music, right? And I think that might be, that might include arpeggi, right? Where it's you making the music. Obviously we're making music. There's any of the other generative drops where it's just about the actual art, right? Euler Beats, that one's been around for a long time. I would say that's one sector, right? And then there's the collecting music, the DAO sector, I would almost say. So I've seen a couple of things pop up like noise DAO that are just into building up the community and allowing people to explore through the space better. And then the final one is the platforms for almost the modern age Spotify's slash Apple Music's, right, to play the music NFTs and allow regular artists to release their music as NFTs, right? So in that way, I think that one's almost kind of coincide with the making music aspect, but it really depends on the platform. I know a lot of artists that are releasing the same music they already released on Spotify, but they're releasing it as an NFT. And I think that's super cool because there's different people who are following each of these artists. There's different types of people that are following each of these artists. There's the fans, which are just there to enjoy the music. There's the people that are very casual fans that just listen to the music in their car. But then there's also the collectors who are trying to buy vinyls, right? Trying to find vinyls. And now with that being so difficult for the average artist to do, I think NFTs are fantastic for that, right? It allows this artist to release something that makes a collector feel really special and feel connected to the artist. And I think that's a super cool thing those platforms are doing, like catalog and sound. And I think that sector is definitely more pivoted. And I think also, like I was talking about earlier, the idea of royalties and music and NFTs, I think that sector will kind of take that because they're less focused on like what the actual music is and more, how are we releasing this music? And I think all these groups obviously can work together. We've already talked about, you know, the middle sector, the DAO sector, right, is obviously inviting everybody into these other sectors, right, of either making music, finding cool music, and then releasing music in a format that allows the artists to reap the benefits, the collectors to reap the benefits, right? So that's kind of the overall space that I see. And I'm sure new things will pop up that really surprise me. But right now, I think that's the lay of the land. Which player platforms have you been impressed by or do you like to kind of play your music on the most? Yes, I'll be 100% honest. I, myself, I am a Spotify dude. I listen to most of my music on Spotify, right? 
and I think there's room to be built because I want something that's really going to wow me, I guess. And I've tried a little bit of catalog and I think the music that I listen to might not be just there yet. There's a couple artists that I've found that are interesting. And I think and catalog, honestly, if we're talking about that, a platform and I'm specifically to call it one, I, I really like catalog. I think they're doing something really cool. It, wor- it looks nice. It works nice. It feels good. The music that I've heard on it is really good. I think I just hope that the space grows, that I can find more music that fits me, right? But yeah, so I think if I'm going to call out one, though, Catalog would for sure be that. Yeah, so just for the audience, Catalog is a website where artists can mint their music, one-of-one music on the platform and people can own it. Is that right? Yes, that's yeah, pretty much it. You talked about a lot of different angles coming into the music NFT space, but I think your angle is very interesting because you are a creator, you are a musician. Not only that, you are a jazz musician, right? And jazz musician is all about improv music and it's taking elements and almost sounding random, but how do you make it sound good? That's basically what you're doing, right? You're generating music from elements. Maybe you can talk us through a little bit about, you don't have to go too in depth, but what makes music sound good? How do you put elements together to make it sound good? A lot of people, when they hear jazz, they think about jazz, there's a little bit of a, not not necessarily a negative connotation off the bat, but more of a elevator music connotation, right? And jazz is, I've found there's a lot of different sectors of jazz and it's a much more diverse space, right? But a lot of people, I think, as we've gone to the modern age, have taken jazz and made it really, really complicated. I hear a lot of music that's in weird time signatures where there's a lot of things going on. The improvisation is sounding a little less, a little more close to random than it is cohesive, right? And people ask me, what do you actually find interesting about this music? And, you know, for me, honestly, I don't find a lot of the modern jazz particularly interesting to me. I find a lot of the older stuff that came from when jazz was a popular music to be interesting. And what I think they had right is that at the end of the day, they were relatable, right? So in the early 1900s, there was a lot of racism, right? And this music kind of was a spawn of that. And I think the soul and the heart of the music, right, just when people listen to it, you could feel the connection, you could feel what the artist was putting into it, right? And that people related to it, right? So I think at the end of the day, the most important thing for music is the relatableness of it. And that could just be a melody that makes you, reminds you of a party you were at when you were 16 or something like that, right? And generally... I think that's the first level, right? And then at the end, and then the, the second thing is obviously just everybody is interested in different musical genres. I think that's kind of the relatableness, but then also the musical content, right? So it has to be cohesive and it has to be natural. So a lot of the things, just going back to jazz that I've seen and spin up in the modern jazz space kind of sound contrived, right? It's this artist trying to find something that sounds experimental or, or trying to push the boundaries. And that's super cool. We need people pushing the boundaries, but for music that I'm going to choose to listen to, it's got to be the thing that came from the person, right? Just directly. A lot of people sing in the shower, right? And maybe they go off onto their own riffs, right? Whatever they're singing is, especially for people who don't know much about music, who don't have any idea what they're doing, that's the most natural thing for them. They're going to want to hear the things that come most naturally to everybody else. So art that is just pure, nothing that was put on the page or put in the music just to be there. It was put there for a reason and because the artist felt that way at the time and they wanted the music to sound that way. So I think at the end of the day, that's what makes good music. Going back to this first release of Ocarina, what are some of the guidelines that you guys have implemented in order to ensure everything that you were just talking about in terms of making the music sound good? And also how long are these each NFT? 
Yeah. So I'm a musician. I should also talk about how I'm actually not the one composing this drop, right? So one of my best friends who I've known for a long time actually went to the Manhattan School of Music with me. He's my roommate. He's in the apartment with me now. He is the composer for this drop, and he dropped out at the same time as me to pursue composing and producing full-time. And he's an absolutely amazing artist. Is it the composer that's setting the rules in terms of how all 1,500 or... Actually, I read that there's going to be an extra 128, right? So yes. all 1,628 separate NFTs are going to be generated to guarantee that they're going to sound palatable or amazing. And how long is each NFT going to be? Me not being the artist, I think is important because as the engineer building the software, right, knowing how the generative part is going to work, I can let the artist do what I was just talking about, which is make what's natural, make the music, right? Don't focus on everything else, right? Don't, don't focus on how the generative part's going to work. We can talk about that later. So I had the artist write seven different pieces, well, actually probably more around 10 to 12 different pieces that all had different themes made up of different chord progressions, right? And I just had him organize them into different parts and then write a different one for a different section, a new melody, a new baseline, a new intro, right? So now I think this is something we want to do continuing forward with artists is just allow artists to, to make the music. And then we set the rules on our end, right? And the artist will have to comply a little bit just by writing a little more music, right? But for an artist, this is just your average musical process, right? This is just your producing in logic, right? Writing out music on a piano, maybe. And we can take it and put the rules in. So for this one, the rules set were seven chord progressions. There's four different generative parts that could be different for each one, which means we kind of separated it into different melody parts and then the drum parts, right? And the bass and chords are the same for each chord progression. And yeah, so that with those rules, when somebody mints, it's going to put together four different parts after choosing a random chord progression for them. And those four parts are also going to be random and mm -hmm. make something that the artist had already kind of made, you know, maybe not heard the exact combination before, right? But had made up the components of and just composed and let go from their heart. Got it. How long would each NFT be? The length of the NFTs, full-length songs, they're going to be, well, full-length, I don't know what you might consider full-length, but anywhere between a minute and two and a half minutes. You can buy one of these and still have a full song. You know, I think a lot mm -hmm. of projects like to be really buildable and composable, and that's really cool. And you can still do that with these. You can take the tracks from some of them and put them together and do whatever you want with it. But if you just you know, want to spend 0.04 ETH and get one out there, then you have a full song, right? That's a song. Yeah. So this is super interesting because I feel the whole generative aspect just makes it, I mean, there's just like this whole world of possibilities, right? And I know that I'm sure you have a bunch of ideas, like you said, in your back pocket. Can you talk about maybe some of the possibilities? I'm just thinking like how a particular release might interact with another or, you know, say I collect a few different NFTs and I don't know, maybe like I only have access or the first few were released using only certain chord progressions. And then as you get more, you can combine them or to create something completely new, things like that, right? There's just like so many different things. Can you talk a bit about some of the ideas that you guys have been thinking about? Totally, yeah. So I've already mentioned a couple of them, just the on-chain manipulation. I think one that you were just alluding to is having them each collection possibly interact or even making a kind of a subsequent follow-up collection or, or different parts of the music that they're supposed to be composable. I think, like I said, for this drop, we want the, each song to be its own thing, but we also do plan on doing a drop in the future where you might have a couple different parts of the song and maybe one NFT is actually made up of all these parts. And then you choose at any given time, which parts you want to be sitting there on chain, right? Which, what parts you want to be the output, right? So you might, you might buy nine melody parts 
a group, uh, almost a package of nine melody parts and mm -hmm. two drum parts. And that might be generative in itself, right? You might get a couple of different amounts of those parts and you can put them together in whatever way you want or the different qualities of the music like the key, right? That might be included there. That's something we've been thinking about. The album idea where you might purchase an entire album and then depending on when you listen to the song or other random on-chain factors or even things you might influence yourself, it will give you a different output. So I think that'd be really cool. I was just thinking about that. You know, if you're driving in your car and you're listening to one of these songs and it's a sad night and you get like a really sad version, <laughs> I would feel really connected to that music. If you were hyping up for the party you're going out to on Saturday night and you get the one variation out of the 10 you have on that album, that's actually that's super hype. I would feel really cool, right? Yeah. So that's something we definitely have up our back sleeve. Yeah, I think that's about all I'll reveal for now. <laughs> cool, cool. One of the concepts that I'm finally starting to understand, what NFTs have done for digital artists is basically allowed digital artists to monetize their creations. And so what Artblocks has done is it allows digital artists to create a collection of art that they can sell that other people can own. And they also get a revenue stream over time as they, they're buying and selling these pieces of art, right? What you're doing is you're essentially doing that for musicians now, right? Mm -hmm. You're basically helping these musicians create a collection of generative music that people can now interact with. They're buying and selling this music. You're basically allowing these musicians that couldn't make music before or couldn't make money off of their skills and music before to actually make money off of their work. Does that sound about right? Exactly. Yeah. We're allowing these artists who maybe were jazz musicians like me and were forced to live in New York and gig until 4 a.m. and get paid 40 bucks a night and actually get paid for their music. And then on top of that, with Bee Foundry specifically, make something kind of push your own limits. So right now, like I said, we're working with artists on an individual basis. And maybe that's easy right now because I can keep in mind the rules and I can manage all the rules of how the drop's going to work and they can just focus on the music. But like art blocks, people talk about art blocks like it's almost generated this new, almost form of art. The idea of thinking about the art, the, what the artist has to do is now completely different from what the Web2 artist would have to do or just the average artist that might try to get their work shown in, in a gallery in New York or something like that, right? So the actual art creation process is different, right? And you want to open this up in the future where anybody can release their music in art format, right? Not like catalog where it's just releasing your music. It's creating music that is for the purpose of being generative, has the MIDI, is, is on chain, right? And that allows, that might hopefully spawn up kind of another, not necessarily a genre of music, but just a new medium, right? That it has artists pushing their limits. And hopefully the value of that, which I think is very high, I think that there's a lot of value in just the quality of the art that can come about from something like this, is reflected by these new artists and allows them to make the money and make the royalties and have all that be verifiable on chain, which is super cool about the NFT space and have them be able to actually earn a living wage, right? Yeah, like you said, Artblocks has literally generated a new type of digital art that people have bought into. And what Artblocks has also done is it's basically created almost celebrity status for these artists and people want to like one of each artist's collection, right? And so Artblocks is bringing on artists and basically allowing them to be the stars. It sounds like Ocarina is the first iteration of that, but eventually you guys want to bring on amazing musicians that are creating generative music that you can make stars as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've really been thinking about too, is that with this first drop, the artist is my roommate and went to college with him, but who knows who that is? Nobody actually knows who he is. 
not yet. He's going to be an amazing composer. But the idea is that anybody can do this, right? Anybody can release in this way. I talk about this with him a lot. The music industry has kind of almost set up these rules. And if you don't conform to the rules, you're not going to make it, right? You're not going to be able to make the big bucks. We were listening to a couple of songs earlier today. It was huge songs, majorly popular songs that had the same chord progression that we've heard on every other song ever. And there was literally two songs on the album. They had the exact same chord progression and the exact same sound, just a different tempo, right? And those rules just work today. That's what gets popularized because the music industry pushes them up because it's the most generally accessible music. It's the music that will be listened to the most because most people can relate to them. More people can relate to it than cannot, right? Whereas some music is really amazing. There's a huge crowd for it, but it just can't get up there in the music industry. It's hard to build that celebrity status. And these days with social media, I mean, it's a little bit easier, but now with it being, if maybe if you were early, it might've been easier, but now with it being just so everywhere, it's so hard to get in and push your way up to the top in the music industry, right? But this space for one is new. We're getting into this new space where if you want to get in now and you're starting to build early, you're going to have the early advantage. But also I think it's just, the idea of us being focused on the art and kind of taking away from that fickle aspect of just the artist's presentation, the celebrity status, I think that disappeared with our blocks, right? Now it's just straight up about the art. We can just allow all of the amazing art that people have to share to come about, to flourish. So with this first drop, you've already heard a little bit of the music. The music sounds amazing, I think. And you might not know who Shaw Avery is, but now you do, right? And hopefully other drops will have other artists. And we've already got an artist lined up for the next drop, who's a little bit popular in the Web3 space, specifically in the music NFT space. But we want anybody to be able to do this. It's not about celebrity status. Anybody can make great art. They have the heart to do it. Wait, Benny, just to confirm, you're 20 years old right now. I'm actually 19 years old. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, this is (laughs) insane. You already had like a whole career in music and then you just picked up coding. And then now you're like an entrepreneur, like it's seriously crazy. Going back to that point, because I think what I read was that the concept of having the output in MIDI format is not only limited, or I guess I should say that is the basis of the platform, not just of the first release, right? So have you thought about how that may potentially expand because of some of the potential limitations of MIDI in terms of the type of music complexity and layers that you can have Speak a little bit about that, like ideas in that expanding the potential inputs and outputs. Because I'm just thinking as you build a more potentially robust platform, maybe you could have more instruments, right? Or potentially even vocals at some point. I'm curious how you guys are thinking about all that. Yeah, I think right now what's great is, like I said, MIDI's been around for a long time. It's very standardized. There's a, there's a huge committee of people. There's all these communities that keep track of the internet specifications. There's just as large one that's keeping track of MIDI all the time, updating it. MIDI 2.0 is about to come out or maybe already did. I can't remember. And it allows like in communication from instrument to computer and computer to instrument. It's very interesting. So I think right now that's great because of the limitations of the blockchain, right? And something you mentioned just there, the lyrics and stuff like that. What's great is MIDI actually does have lyrics as a part of the format. You could tie lyrics to certain notes. And although that won't have the vocals on chain, for our next drop, we actually do plan to have vocals, right? Which is just the Mm. lyrics being on chain and maybe the lyrics being generative, which is super cool. And having a singer produce the off-chain version of it, right? Having somebody on the recording of it, which would be super cool. But I think as we see in the more far future, these layer two solutions come up, cheaper ways to get things on-chain, we might be able to kind of invest in formats and 
it's got to be standardized, right? I think MIDI is super cool because it's already been standardized in the music industry. Maybe there's sort of Web3 MIDI version that we might adopt that maybe is more compact or works mm-hmm. in a way that suits all the needs of the Web3 space. Or in the future, we might be able to just straight up get MP3s on chain. Who knows? These L2s are looking very promising, right? We've yeah. just got kind of these little limits of block size, just ensuring that everything can fit in the transaction, everything can fit on the blockchain, right? Because right now, that's not particularly our biggest limit, the size of what we can get on chain. It's really the cost. It's just the cost. So mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. layer two solutions offer like Polygon and Optimism and Arbitrum, they're all offering much cheaper alternatives to the Ethereum blockchain that all kind of tie back to the Ethereum blockchain. So I think as the limitations get weaned away, which I just I foresee happening with the Ethereum space, we'll find other ways to get our music on chain. You've got to think MIDI's been around for 40 years. There's just something to it. Longer than 40 years, I think. There's something that is just, it's got everything you need to make music, right? And at the end of the day, we're just trying to make music, right? So I think MIDI will always be a part of it, but we definitely want to explore other ways to get this on once the limitations have kind of adjusted themselves, right? Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Would you say then that Pete Foundry is also acting as a producer to help people get into the Web3 format for this new riff? Yeah, so I would call the producer the artist, in a way, so normally with the digital age, I think artists who make digital music would often call themselves producers. And I guess I wouldn't say record label. I think that would be more something like maybe catalog or maybe not even, but just uh, I wouldn't even call it a record label. I think at the end of the day, the best word I can come up with is just platform because it's a stance to build the music on, right? It's just a place to build the music on. And whereas you are the producer, right? So we, I think we do want to kind of sit in the background and let the artist be the forefront of this. They might be dropping on B Foundry that their collection might be displayed on the B Foundry website, have, might have its own page, secondary sales on Zora, OpenSea, whatever it is. But it's just that we're the platform where they could easily build the music, release it in a way, right? Without having to think too much about the smart contracts or having to go through the software engineering side, right? I wouldn't necessarily put ourselves as like a any standard music industry, pre-Web3 music industry world word that has already been around got it and then do you have to update the algorithm on a per composer's body of work basis i guess was why producer popped in my head because you were kind of talking about how you were pushing the composer to like build the music now and then we'll figure it out but do what you think is very appealing are you gonna have to update the algorithm um, for each artist or are you pretty happy with where it is now There's these other formats, like I talked about earlier, just some of the things we have up our sleeve that will require their own custom solutions. But I think each solution can include multiple artists. I think for this first drop, the contract, it will be just this smart contract and it won't, it'll be sitting alone and nobody else will ever touch the smart contract. There won't be any other artists on this smart contract, but I have designs and code for working for a variety of smart contracts within this same format. And then we might just kind of separate it by format where it's like you got the the Ocarina type format, which is just, you've got all these MIDI files that are separated in chord progressions and they get put together. And then there's the album format and there's the composable parts format. There's the lyrics format, whatever it is. Those might be separated by a smart contract and yeah, allow any artist to, to onboard onto any of them or choose kind of which direction. We might see artists that call themselves the buildable blocks artists where they only participate in this smart contract. They make these drops. They do drops where you can pick out all these different little snippets and put it together. Maybe the Remix culture might, might love those kind of artists. Or the artists that are already doing working in the remix culture would be 
the ones who are going into that. Whereas there could be an artist in the future that's just that, you know, your classic musician likes to make music that releases an album the classic way and might stick to that kind of stuff. So if you're anything like me, you've already been thinking about recruiting the next musicians onto the platform. What type of musicians are you looking for thinking about that are you are trying to bring on the first crop of artists? Yes. So given that this music is computerized, I think we're a little bit limited to it being digital music. So unfortunately, we just don't have the capacity to let jazz musicians <laughs> play live music and record it as an MP3 and get on chain. That would be about 300 ETH to get on chain. And we just unfortunately don't have that. So live music is unfortunately restricted. We have no live musicians. Don't contact us. Just kidding. In the future, we're hoping when things are cheaper, we can do that. But for the next drop, I think we were thinking about a sort of indie pop drop. We definitely want to do rap. We think that'll be really cool with generative lyrics. I think music that's straight up just about the lyrics, right? And has kind of a, an underlying background. We can really focus on the lyrics there and allow that generative thing to flourish, whatever it is. And this year we kind of set a goal of doing five different artists from at least five different genres. So yeah, just listening to genres. Indie pop is one of them. Rap is another. We kind of wanted to do a sort of rhythm based. I don't know if you've heard of Aphex Twin. It's kind of a more drum-focused, rhythm-focused music with a little bit of a melodic component on top. We want to do a very classic pop drop, of course, just whatever is, is popping at the time, your Olivia, Rodrigo, whatever it is, we want to do, definitely do something like that. And then maybe something more abstract that is more ambient, possibly, or just something interesting to listen to, or even something old-fashioned like classical music, we were thinking, you know, that would still work. You could compose something that sounds interesting, but is classically informed, right? I have a callback to what Benny, you were talking about. So you originally said the ideal of music versus the reality. You said that you wanted to get back to it. So yeah, what did you discover in the ideal or the reality versus the ideal? And what did you find and how did that lead to where you are now? Going to music school, I had a little bit of a an idea of what I was getting myself into. This was during COVID. Actually, my freshman year of college was during COVID. I knew it would be a little different. But I knew that the way it kind of worked in the industry, in the music industry, specifically the jazz industry in New York, is you show up to jam sessions late at night, you play with as many people as you can, and eventually if you show off well enough, if you play well enough, they might call you for one of their gigs, and then somebody else sees you at one of their gigs, and then you end up just making these connections, and it just builds up, and you, you start really building up a calendar so that you can actually make a living wage, right? So you can have things filled with your calendar where if you add up the pay from each spot, you can afford rent that month, right? And, that, and a lot of that is touring and stuff like that. But I think what really stuck out to me, the ideal is as an artist, we just want to make music. We just want to make music that we enjoy. And I was definitely doing that. But sometimes that's not, especially in the, you know, as we go into this modern jazz space, it doesn't exactly align with everybody. Right? So you kind of have to figure out a way to change your music to conform a little bit. And I didn't really like that. I felt uncomfortable making music that wasn't mine, right? The music that didn't feel natural to me just because I needed to pay rent, right? And that's, I think, the issue. And I think a lot of artists deal with that is that just, to, like I said earlier, with the same chords as every other song, at a certain point, you kind of just have to conform and make music that will allow you to eat that night, right? So that was definitely one of the things that was my ideal switched into reality was not so pleasant. But I think the other thing also is, and some people can handle this, but the idea that you're always having to impress is really difficult. That everywhere you go, every time you play has to be great because that could be the time, right? And if you don't get that time, then that's then you just lost 
you lost an opportunity, right? And that doesn't ever end. Even when you're still playing at your 30s and you've got gigs, you're touring, if you show up to the big band recording session and you don't play your best, then you're not going to get called again. And that could just happen and you might never get told about it, right? That lifestyle of always almost watching your back and making sure that you're practicing all day and you know you no longer have a work-life balance because your whole life is just music. When you're not playing with somebody else, you're practicing on your own so that you sound really good and you can impress when you're playing with music. That's a very difficult thing to overcome. And a lot of people can do that. And I think the jazz space, there's so many musicians that I know who are still out in Manhattan School of Music that are born to be there. They are totally fine with 24 hours a day playing jazz, thinking about jazz, impressing people, practicing, right? And that's great. But I think there's a lot of music that is to be made that doesn't necessarily get better because of that, right? That doesn't get pushed because of that. And we don't want to cut off all that music. I think there's a lot of a potential there. A lot of artists that don't want to live that life, but still have amazing music and deserve to be shared. So I guess that was my ideal. And I kind of wanted to move into that direction of allowing my art to not be limited by my lifestyle, right? Not be limited by the lifestyle I wanted to choose. Yeah, it's so cool that you could see the system there and how quickly you chose a different system. I think that's really impressive. I have one more fun question, which is, so why Manhattan School of Music over Juilliard? Okay, so well, for one, I didn't get into Juilliard. (laughs) That's a crazy story, actually. So most people, you know, the Juilliard audition process is ridiculous, right? It's, you've got a recording audition, right? I am from Los Angeles, California. So recorded with a bunch of musicians around there, sent it out to Juilliard. Most people get cut off right there. So I made it past that round, right? And then you go in for, you fly out for a live audition. It's around the same time as all the other auditions. And you get to go in in the morning, right? At like 9 a.m. and warm up. And, and then it's really scary. The, the rooms are, are terrible. You get to, uh, you know, you've got like these weird black curtains everywhere. It's really ominous and not a good vibe. And they're definitely trying to scare you like right off the bat. And you go into this tiny little classroom and there's all these judges sitting there and you've got a rhythm section, people to back you up. You've never met before. They all know the songs, right? And they throw stuff at you to just try to throw you off and whatever it is. And you just have to play your best. And you have to hope you get a callback for later that day, right? Most auditions, it's maybe the recording audition, you fly out, maybe live audition. Sometimes it's just the recording audition. They've heard enough. And this one, it's you go in the morning, you stay the whole day and play again later that night if you get on the list, right? So I played this first audition and I thought, oh man, I, you know, it was not good, man. This was not good. I went out and we were just sitting around, I had got lunch, came back and there's this huge waiting room with every musician who auditioned that day in the morning. And you see this guy walk out with a clipboard and he just sets it down on the table and everybody rushes around, right? And we're all looking for our names and it's ridiculous. And you automatically see people crying and running away, walking away. It's, it's ridiculous. Most people, about 90% of everybody walked out, right? was done at that point. And I got to this point, right? And I was like, so hyped. I couldn't believe it. And a couple of my friends, my roommate, who is an amazing trumpet player, a jazz trumpet player, also made it to this point. And we were told where the audition room is. And now it's a, it's a totally different room across the school in this huge hall, right? Underground. And it's difficult to find. And it's just, everything is just so weird, right? You get to this room and you now go in and, and now every judge, rather than just the judges for maybe like a couple of general judges and a couple for your instrument, right? Your specific instrument. Now, every judge for every instrument is sitting there in this huge table, right? You've got like, like 15 people in front of you and a new rhythm section of different people, right? Different people who don't know you before. And they actually, they had us answer these kind of interview questions and talk about this creative project that we had to do, right? Just so much stuff for an audition, right? And I played my audition and I actually thought, it was so good. I thought it was the best that I ever played. And I even, I kind of knew a guy who was connected with the jazz at Lincoln Center, which is connected with Juilliard. And I talked to him and he said they were talking about me and that it was looking good. 
And there's only three trombone players that got to this point right, in the whole country. So I was like, I had good hopes of this. My roommate, same thing, was hearing good things. He felt really good about his audition. And next thing you know, we didn't even get waitlisted. So uh, <laughs> all of that process. And in his case, they, didn't, they actually didn't even let in a trumpet player. They just said no trumpet players this year. So what's interesting is Juilliard's different in that they have all these, they have like spot limitations. So you have to have, there's only four trombone players that are given time. There's like two trumpet, you know, whatever it is. At other schools like Manhattan School of Music, were just it was a regular audition. You show up, you play the music, right? They invite you to the school, they give you a nice scholarship. And what's great is the faculty there, honestly, they're better and it's a nicer vibe, right? It was a much better vibe. If I was able to do music full time, I would still be there for sure. If that was a lifestyle that I could do, I would still be there because it, it's definitely the right place for jazz. Juilliard kind of uh, pulls the energy down just a bit, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds so intense. I actually played trombone for three years when I was younger. Yeah, I definitely didn't never play jazz. When you were saying they were throwing stuff at you, I couldn't help but think of J.K. Simmons. It's the more metaphorical way, but yes, they, yeah, thankfully they weren't throwing symbols in my head or chairs <laughs> over my head, right? But they were throwing ideas, musical ideas. You know, that's the cool thing about jazz is the improvisational. You're supposed to be yeah. listening and figuring things out on the fly. So, yeah. Got it. What, if anything, do you enjoy helping people with the most? Obviously, helping people is a good feeling for everybody, right? I thought for a while that it changed when I moved away from music and into what I'm doing now, right, with software engineering and, and founding Foundry. But then I realized I kind of am still doing the same thing. So what I, I think enjoy helping people the most is taking on their ideas, taking on a venture, and just making it happen. Like I remember back when I was playing jazz full-time, I had a friend who really liked just the aesthetic of the jazz musicians in the 60s and the 50s, right? These pictures that were, at the time, they, maybe they didn't know they were had pictures being taken of them, but just these beautiful pictures of musicians playing their heart, right? Just totally being themselves and in black and white. And that has such a cool aesthetic. And he was thinking, you know, I want to wear this, right? So I helped him start a shirt company, right? And that was just a lot of fun, you know, just getting his ideas going and having something fun with it, right? So in general, I love helping people out make their ideas come to reality. And now, you know, I've started my own thing, right? Bee Foundry. And I'm actually realizing that I'm kind of still doing the same thing and that my roommate is an artist, right? And I'm allowing him to release his music in this way, which is not allowing him, you know, he's being so generous for allowing us to use his music because it's so amazing. And another one of my friends, he's also working on the project doing social media and marketing and, and stuff like that and trying to get us out there as much as he can. It's still kind of the same thing. I just enjoy building my friends up and helping people get to the next level of whatever they're doing, whatever they want to be doing. Beautiful. After hearing about Bee Foundry, I'm sure a lot of musicians and artists are excited to work with Bee Foundry. If I was a musician, where would I go to find you guys and start a conversation? The first thing is I would probably follow the Twitter, which is at Bee Foundry NFTs. And there you can just keep updated on what we're doing. Also join our Discord. If you want to directly communicate with us, that's definitely the best way. You can either direct message us on Discord or just get involved in the community in general. And then our website is beatfoundry.xyz. And that's where you can stay updated on the drops themselves. That's where you can actually mint the NFTs when they are dropping. And then in the future soon, you'll be able to listen to all of your NFTs on the website. So I'm definitely going to mint an NFT this weekend. If I were somebody that wanted to mint an NFT or Karina, what do I do? Yes. So Saturday, this Saturday, which is January 22nd at 12 p.m. EST, you're going to go to beatfoundry.xyz. And right on the page, there's going to be a button that just says mint one beat. After connecting your wallet, of course, you're going to click that button. 
And you can click that button as many times as you would like, as you know, until that until they're <laughs> over, of course, until there's no more left. But yeah, you can mint one, and then you've got yourself an NFT. You've got yourself an ocarina. Awesome! I'm so excited. Thank you so much for your time. I'll be there. Yeah. Thank you, Benny. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. For sure. So excited. Thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for making it to the end of the episode. You can find show notes, links, and contact info for us and our guests at our website, willandlee.show. We love feedback, so please feel free to drop us a note with any thoughts or suggestions. Lastly, if you like what you heard, we'd really appreciate you adding ratings to our episodes. Thanks for listening. Until next time.